I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, let's go. Yeah, good morning, Jill. You know, that was a rather long meeting last night for Superintendent Skipper's first meeting. Yes, I know. It's great to see her at the helm. And there was also a new student rep, Diego Meta. I'm Diego Meta. Uh, nice to see you guys. Right. So Diego goes to school at Boston Arts Academy. Yeah, he's great. I'm half Salvadorian and half Indian. Uh, however, that does not mean I am fluent in Spanish. I can kind of understand, but not really. He was actually an amazing addition last night to the school committee. It'd be fun to have him on the committee. Yeah, maybe fun to have on the podcast someday. So Superintendent Skipper opened by talking about, or really her whole conversation was about, her whole presentation was about how we're going back to the basics, how we've got to look at things like transportation and attendance and food and safety and take these things seriously. You know, we're working hard to, to hire and to train additional drivers and bus monitors, and this is will continue in the fall and all year long, frankly. You know, we're not yet there, especially in our after hours, in our, a, our PM on time percentage and routing, but we are and will continue to work 24-7. That transportation team under Dell's leadership is is just laser focused to get this right. So what did you make of that? Good opening? So Jill, I thought for the, you know, for the first time we heard a superintendent say that transportation, while improving, mm -hmm. still needs to get better. Yeah. Right. And said, you know, look, we gotta, we gotta do better, especially in the afternoon routes, and ensure that no route is missed and that students are getting home, you know, to some degree on time. Which but is not so far right from now. that. Yeah. But she said, like for the first time, she said, I'm concerned about it. This it creates enormous stress for the families. And I know this is frustrating to families. And that's the last thing that we want. And that's a big deal. Like, well also it was the first time we ever saw a, a slide that showed what people were saying, right? Where there was not a contrast between public experience and the data that was being presented by school committee. It was very refreshing. Right. And so just the juxtaposition to that would have been the last meeting where acting superintendent Eccleson, you know, essentially was taking a victory lap on transportation and saying right. this is the best we've done in yeah. years. Right. That's not refreshing to hear. Right. Um, well, is, not when you're not perceived, you're not feeling that as a, as a parent or a student. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and so Jill, just on this on this topic of transportation. So Michael O'Neill asked a good, really good question last night mm -hmm. around transportation. He said, "Look, I'm looking at this data, and it says you know some buses are 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour late in the afternoon, right?" And he asked the question, which I thought was a really good question. He said, "Look, is this the time that the students get picked up at their school, or is this the time that students are getting home?" I just wanted to be clear on that. It's not when students are arriving home, but it's if the buses are actually at the school when the bell time happens, so to speak. And the answer is no, that's the time students are getting picked up at their school. So buses arriving a half an hour, an hour late to afternoon pickup yeah. means that students are getting home potentially an hour and a half, two hours or more. Later than when they would have normally gotten home. Right. It's a huge, it's a yeah. huge concern. And yeah. so- you know, we heard from Superintendent Skipper saying we must get our students to school, mm -hmm. especially our students with disabilities. And so we're still hearing that there's challenges with getting our students with disabilities who require a monitor right. to and from school. And that's because we haven't hired everyone. 
we haven't hired enough monitors and therefore it's hard to get kids who need a monitor with them on a bus to school. Right. This must be a topic yeah. at every meeting yeah. until it's we're like, at 100%. And it's not okay, Jill. Like, it's just not okay to open up every year with students not being able to get to school. We heard from a parent last night with a kindergartner who said that her student has been late both being picked up and being bought home almost every day. And then her poor, her student, her kindergarten student, brand new to the district, yeah. you know, was getting to school like an hour late most days. Right. It is unacceptable for students to be waiting on street corners, late for school, or riding on the bus for an unreasonable amount of time because the driver is navigating a neighborhood they are unfamiliar with when the technology exists to assist them. Think about it. A five-year-old. And you, and you know, about going what, to school. I know. And what made me think about that too is, okay, this person actually got, you know, got to the meeting, spoke up at the meeting. How many more people is that actually happening to? Like, she's probably the voice of many. And and it did appear that Superintendent Skipper knows that, feels that, and, and knows that they have some serious work to do to solve for that. Jill, it's sometimes in, in Boston, we get conditioned to certain things happening over and over again, right? We get conditioned to buses always being a problem and we just accept that that's what it is. We have to continue to push back and say, it's unacceptable to not have our students get to school and be picked up from school. Yeah. It's just a basic function. And so again, Superintendent Skipper said, our team is both working hard, right? So she honored her team, the transportation teams that are working very hard mm -hmm. and we continue to have challenges and we're going to work hard on fixing those challenges. And this is a complex issue. So another complex issue is attendance. And so why do you think she's bringing that back to the table, resurfacing that and, and making sure that school committee knows that she's going to be paying attention to this problem? I mean, basically, because we ignored attendance for the last, you know, the last couple of years under yeah. our former leadership. Yeah. And I think Superintendent Skipper is saying, no, I, I care about chronic absenteeism. Yeah. I am going to go find students who are not coming to school. I'm going to ensure that we address dropouts right away. So mm -hmm. if we have high school students who are not going to school, right now is the time to go find them and re-engage them into our schools. We're not going to let them just leave our school system. We're going to go find them and make sure they come back. Right. And again, you know, finally, right, we have a superintendent who's actually talking about the data, who's saying we have potential issues here, and we're going to pay attention to the small stuff to make sure that our students are in school every day. Our students have to be in school to be able to take advantage of everything we have to teach and, and for them to learn. This is work that's going to be critical this year, as we're definitely seeing uptick and increase in the number of students who have dropped out. And, you know, there are students, um, even though they're not enrolled with us at this point, we want our students back, we want them to come back, and we want to be able to give them a menu of options to meet them where they are so that they can finish and be able to earn their diploma and then have opportunities beyond that diploma. Right. It's a really it's a really big issue. And it's it did feel like we're going back now several years to a time where this was very important, making sure that kids were in school in, in a way that was good for them, appropriate for them and that we didn't leave anyone kind of hanging out and behind. In terms of food, she talked about both bringing back full scratch cooked meals in every school. The thing that our foundation had worked on hard with Mayor Walsh and previous superintendents. I know for our students, if they're hungry, if they they haven't been able to eat, or sometimes if this is uh, the only sets of meals they have are our breakfast and lunches, it's really important that that food is nutritious and it's it's hot and that it you know it's going to fill them and uh, that it's culturally sensitive. She also talked about City Fresh that's providing prepared meals into some of those schools now because hiring hasn't completely ramped back up. 
Anything else that we should mention there? For a superintendent to actually pay attention to- I know, like, it's amazing. Like ensuring, you know, some basic needs are met. Like we, our kids well, are- Well, also she talked about good food. Yeah. Nutritious food, food that kids will eat. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, Superintendent Skipper has, her her family has been involved in in school food in the yeah, past. And, um, you know, so, so the idea here, again, let's just summarize, right? Like we need to get our kids to school. Uh, on buses. We need to make sure they're coming to school. We need to pay attention to attendance very carefully and anybody who may have potentially dropped out and get them re-engaged into our school system. We need to make sure our students are eating fresh, nutritious food every day and that they can be ready to learn in our schools because many of our students rely upon school meals for their nutrition during the day. And then she said, look, we also got to pay attention to the special education and pay attention to the fact that we need teachers in all of our classrooms. And, you know, she's very clear that we need the basics here. And Fundamentals. Um, and we should keep on reporting on these basics every school committee meeting so that until everything is in place. Okay. And then a theme that kind of went throughout the entire meeting was a was discussion about safety in a variety of ways. Uh, when she opened, she talked about enhancement of the camera system in the district. And there was some there were some questions about this, some worry about this. Can you clarify some of that and, and why? why the city has implemented and budgeted for additional cameras and enhanced functionality. Sure. So, so Jill, it's important to know first that there are cameras in our schools. Uh, so we do have video Always cameras. have been. Yes. Yeah. So it's not a new thing. And the new student rep, Diego Meta, asked the question. Regarding the cameras heading into schools, I'm concerned about how you all make sure that won't feed into the school prison pipeline. What he was trying to get at was he's saying, if you add cameras to schools, will the recordings of those videos be shared with- How will they be used? Right. How will they be used? He's, yeah. right. so, he's getting, so he's asking this question of like, say there's some relatively minor infractions that are caught on camera. Will those infractions be shared with authorities or with the police department? This actually came up a few years ago, Jill, when there was a student who was involved in a safety issue at a school, mm -hmm. um, information about that student was shared with the police and that student was ultimately deported. And this sparked up a whole conversation, if you recall, a couple of years ago yes. with BPS and the Boston Police Department about what would be shared and not shared. And so I think what was missed last night was that there's a whole policy that lays out what will be shared and what will not be shared with police. So then when the school committee members were asking questions, Brandon Cadet. Hernandez asked about the transportation audit and the special education audits and the contract that the school district has signed with the Council of Great City Schools. And he basically said, how did they win this contract? The sort of curiosity I had around this particular procurement was obviously, were they the only person who went up for the job? And in either of these three areas, were there reports that we found interesting or cultivated more curiosity around our own direction as a system? And so that was really where I'm going. There was then a huge amount of discussion around it to get to the correct answer. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, Jill, I, there was a number of questions asked last night by members, it, it, we just assume like that the B, BPS went through a contracting process and a bidding process to get the best vendor to do the audits that they were asking for of really important departments, including transportation. Right. I think that's partially why I was asking the question, right? Because you can write you can write bids to get the best vendor. You can write bids to get the cheapest vendor. Yeah. Right? So He's he asked a question. He's like, how did they win? Right. And 
there was a lot of that to your point. There was a lot of like, they've always done it, or there's people from other large districts who are experts in these areas mm-hmm. and they'll help do, they'll help with the audit or there's all these sort of re, the kind of like framing of why it's important, but really what we learned was that they, that they were the only bidder. The that council nobody of else, great city schools. Right. And he, he was a little worried because they're, we, the BPS is a member of the council. Of yeah. Great so he city was schools. kind of noting like, is there a conflict of interest right. here? We paid and, dues to them. Yeah. And to, to, to his credit, he's sort of saying this is going to be really important information yeah. for us to use to improve our systems. Right. And we need to make sure we have the best recommendations. And we've heard in the past that Council of Great City Schools gives you pages and pages of recommendations. Sometimes pages and pages are less helpful than a few very specific things to do to improve your systems. Yes. Right. So he was really challenging this question of why. Are we using the Council of Great City Schools? We've used them in the past many times. They've created these reports. Have those reports actually created any action that's improved the system? Right. Great question. This is a great question. So we already talked about public comment in that you mentioned one of the commenters uh, talking about transportation. We should also mention that one of our own, Eliza Novick, who's the director of food access here at the Shaw Foundation, uh, talked about the fact that our work with Boston Public Schools was highlighted at the White House conference yesterday, and you were down there, invited down to speak on a panel about our work. Jill, it's very cool. You know, this was the 50th anniversary of the first White House conference on food, a massive event at the White House. Yeah. One of the first recommendations was improve the quality and nutritional value of school food mm-hmm. by cooking food as close as we can to our students and providing funds for schools to put in kitchens to make sure that there was scratch cooking happening on site. And so our program was highlighted. And this is really a testament also to Boston Public Schools, right? That they, they've they built kitchens in all of their schools. Every school. So yeah. every school can have beautiful food every day. Yeah. So we just, I think it's wonderful that we have this partnership with Boston Public Schools. It was amazing when Mayor Walsh kind of leaned in and supported the initial pilot. And it now exemplifies something that the country would like to see happening uh, across all states. The change that we created in Boston is a national model for how to do school food right. Fresh cooked food that is nutritious, delicious, and offers choice to young people. Congratulations and thank you for your partnership. Okay, so then we moved on to votes. And the first vote was to approve grants. School committee member Brandon Cardet Hernandez challenge how the district was thinking about a particular grant, the IDEA grant. I'm just curious, and maybe it's in here and I'm just not seeing it, but there, it seems like a chunk of the money is being, or the majority of the money is being spent on personnel. And I'm curious if there's a breakdown of district versus school-based personnel that's in this expenditure. Do you have a point of view on why he was challenging that? Yeah, Jill. So for a couple of reasons here, I mean, there. This is often ignored, right? We just approve grants and there's, you know, tens of millions of dollars of grants approved last night. And Mr. Cadet Hernandez was asking a question about the IDEA grant, which is serves our students with disabilities. And really for two reasons. First, he was wondering how many positions, both at central office and at schools, will be created based on the IDEA grant. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to, he was trying to get at this idea that are we creating positions at central office that actually maybe pulling people from schools given our teacher shortage, right? So this is a great question about headcount at central office versus vacancies at schools. And right. we've inc- if we're increasing the headcount at central office, we may be pulling, we may be pulling educators from schools where we have vacancies. 
So this is an opportunity though, that Mr. Cardet Hernandez is using, right? To say, okay, are, do we have the right strategy around these funds? Right. And Superintendent Skipper heard him and said she had the same worry. Well, and, but in fact, she, she, and then she went a step further and said, you know, it's a great question. In our future presentations mm-hmm. about strategy, we'll include the funding sources so yeah. that we can tie these together, right? But it's too often that we'll have a grant vote, right? And everybody will just not ask a question. They'll say, approved. And then when we ask about why are we doing it this certain way, and well, well you approve the grant. Uh, but these, this, these questions at these times are really important to get at the details of how decisions are being made. Right. So then we moved on to the second vote, which was to approve the BTU contract. And again, Mr. Cardet Hernandez had questions about what's happening here. Are we putting the contract before the strategy? Is the contract really following a strategy? If so, what is the strategy with implementation in the schools? You know, in a perfect world, a special education reform would go in tandem with this labor contract. And unfortunately, it seems like we're launching a labor contract without a very clear uh, vision and systemic shifts that will happen centrally. And so I'm like saying it and then curious uh, how that lands and where you're at. Yeah. So same question we heard at the last meeting, Jill, where right. Mr. Credit Hernandez said, okay, so you have this BTU contract and he's fully supportive and the members are fully supportive of the increase in pay for our educators, right. that there's more positions and a stronger family leave act in in this contract. So he's supportive and they're supportive of all these things in the contract, but it's just this inclusive practices language for our students with disabilities that he's concerned with. And he's basically saying, look, the contract is leading the strategy versus the, the, the strategy leading the contract, right. right? And so we're basically saying, hey, every school can go figure out their what should happen in their school around inclusive practices. And that may lead to real problems later on where, you know, will families be able to be served in every school? How do we have oversight on what each school decides? Will that be in the best interest of kids? Will that all be about least restrictive environment and FAPE, which is free and appropriate education for all of our students? You know, he, he's asking these questions. He's raising these concerns. Superintendent Skipper is hearing his concerns, but the contract's done, right? So it's right. sort of like, Right. It's it's already out of the bag. So Mr. Credit Hernandez basically is saying, I'm concerned about this, but I'm going to vote yes for it. And I hope that there's going to be oversight from the district on this. And then there's concern about how we're going to pay for this. So Jill, here's what happens. We budget you know, each year for what's going to happen the next year. But when we have a BTU contract mm-hmm. or a contract with one of our bargaining units, that's after the budget, that you have to go back to the city for an appropriation, right? You have to ask for more money. And this so, contract... So meaning that when the contract was negotiated, the negotiation landed costing the district more than the district had. Than the district budgeted for, budgeted right? Budgeted for. Um, up to, potentially up to like $50 million a year here. So they then um, had to go back to the city, to Mayor Wu. Correct. Who it, wanted this contract done. Correct. Correct. And so, but, so for one year, there's an appropriation, but then ultimately, Jill, this is all, this is baked into the BPS budget. And this is the part that you and I were talking about before. So Mayor Wu gave them the city out of the city budget. She appropriated $50 million. Everyone then assumes that that will then have to be included in the budget for next year and for future years. Because this, this, this is not a one-time cost. Correct. This Correct. is this is an incremental fifteen million dollars that wasn't budgeted for as they were negotiating that was appropriated by the city this year coming out of the city budget. So in lieu of 
taking care of rats or trees or roads or potholes or something else. It's going into this contract this year. Next year, it has to be assumed by the district. Yes. And so Mr. Cronin is asking about this question of saying, what is the true cost of the contract? Right. And then what are we going to do to assume this cost going forward? Right. So what right? So next year, it's got to come out of something within the school district's budget. Yes. And so what we know, and, and I, I hate to say this every time we're on this podcast, but like what we, there is, and I don't mean to be a doomsday person, but there is strategic planning to be had, right? We've added a lot of positions. We yeah. have a lot of the most external dollars from the federal government ever before in ESSER. But only for another two years. And then we have a decreasing enrollment mm -hmm. in our district, mm -hmm. which means less money, mm -hmm. more staff than we've ever had before, less students, and then potentially on the horizon, less money mm -hmm. coming in. And mm -hmm. so we have to be strategic mm -hmm. about what we're doing. And so then we heard from senior advisor Costello, who negotiated this contract, that maybe in the future, there'll be savings. We do know that this is going to be an upfront cost for a longer term result that we're looking for. And eventually, you know, the cost savings we're looking for, if we can make every school in Boston, you know, an all inclusive school, maybe we'll have less out of district transportation. You know, uh, if we can, you know, build all of our new school buildings, um, maybe there will be fewer for us to maintain. Right. So like all of these things are interconnected. And yes, this is expensive, but our kids are worth it. And, and then the other thing that Mr. Cadet Hernandez was getting at here, Jill, was in, in this contract, it alludes to school-based teams making decisions about what their staffing models will look like for inclusive practices for students with disabilities. And this may add a number of positions, right? And we don't, we don't know the cost of these potentially. Mm -hmm. And so that may be added to the budget. And then Mr. Cadet Hernandez is also getting at, like, when will we know this answer? You know, in six months, in five years? Like, when do you expect these school-based teams to have made their decisions by? Right. Um, and part of the answer was, well, underlying that there will be a strategy that is district-wide into which all of these plans that are school-based will fall. Well, we did hear, right. So we, we we heard a little bit about, for the first time, we heard leadership say, there are school models that we really like. Yeah. And they named some schools, yeah. I think three or four schools. And those are the models we may we may use, right. which all of them require more staffing potentially. Right. And if that's the strategy, why not lead with that, right? Why not say, here are the three or four models we think are really good models, and all of our schools will choose one of those models, right? right? Again, that could have been strategy leading the contract instead of the contract leading the strategy. Right. So it's an excellent question, not really without really an answer, because we don't have a strategy yet. We've negotiated a contract before a strategy. He's right about that. We have pulled more money into the budget. We only have that money for a year. So there's a bunch of question marks about how all of this gets executed, to your point, over the next three, four, five years, as some of that, some of that money absolutely goes away. And some of that other money, either through continuous decreases in the number of students in the schools or through the tax base or whatever else could be in our future, could be right. problematic. That's right. I, I want to touch upon one other thing about basic services here. Mr. Cadet Hernandez did ask the question again about staffing. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, you know, you, you kind of allude to this fact that we may have up to 200 open positions in, in schools at this, at this time number of teaching positions, right. where are they, where are they clustered, and do parents know that their child's in a classroom without a certified teacher? And, uh, and to your point, many of these are in high schools, in 
we learned last week that that many of them were in specific content areas. We we they, we heard yes we heard that they were clustered in some schools and they were in some content areas. Right. And so Superintendent Skipper again noted her concern about these positions, ensuring that they're, they they would be filled soon or work really hard to be make sure they're filled. And that number of them were in CTE potentially, which is career technical education. So it'd be really good to see this data, right? Mm-hmm. To to say, here's our here's our areas that we're concerned about. We got to find teachers for these areas as soon as possible. And parents should be notified if their child's in a classroom without a certified teacher, period. So that, which means their child's in a classroom with a substitute teacher. Substitute teacher. Yeah. I got a note here, Jill, we've had a dramatic shift over the past number of years here from talking about hiring teachers in March and the most qualified teachers we could find. So Boston has had a concerted effort about hiring great, really effective teachers early in the hiring season, literally March, April, Yeah. to here we are, Jill, we're in October. Right. And we have dozens, if not hundreds of open positions. It, it is It is definitely concerning that we may be we're just looking for anybody who's certified at this point. Right. This is not the hiring season for teachers. This is not strategic. Yeah. 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 It's interesting how that's fallen off because that was such a fundamental thing five years ago. That's right. And so then the last thing that was discussed last night was Mission Hill. Right. So Mr. Corrette Hernandez was pushing again on this idea of like, why didn't we have more information earlier on this report? It feels like there is secrecy and power hoarding and a lack of information sharing that we ex- that I experience, I should say, as a member here that feels systemic to the organization. And this is in short time, my experience with this. I'll say this, like I, even in this process, and I want to honor this conversation today, but the report has been with the city, even in a draft, for over six weeks. More or less, someone tell me if I'm wrong. And it was just a few weeks ago with recommendations that you may not have been ready to share because of confidential information and things had to be redacted. And I totally understand that. But there were top lines that could have been delivered to the governing body so that we understand understood that there was urgency in addressing those recommendations. We can chew gum and walk. We can redact a document and talk about what's in it and talk about what steps we're going to take to address those changes. And we didn't do that. And I think that that is all part of this. Like that is part of the the failure that like doesn't feel like a was problem, but is like an is problem. Jill, what, what came up last night on Mission Hill was the... Phase three, which is the last phase of a report around the central office's role in what happened with student safety at Mission Hill School. Correct. And all of these reports were commissioned by then Superintendent Brenda Casilius in reaction to a lawsuit that was a lawsuit from families against. at Mission Hill School. Yes. And so we'll post the report to the blog and, and everyone can read it. It is heavily redacted, but it notes that there was failure, there's system failures in central office. There was failures at the school level and there was failures at the central office level. And we heard a commitment from Superintendent Skipper that she would ensure that this didn't happen again, yeah. that, that these, these system failures would not happen again. And a number of these system failures were around communication, were around staffing and to ensure that there was continuity around investigations with the multiple leaders of our school system. 
and noted about the transition of people in and out of BPS over time, essentially that this Mission Hill uh, investigation got lost. So she did call for an audit. Right. She called for an audit to ensure that there were the right structures and systems in place to ensure this didn't happen again. Yeah. Because I mean, she wasn't there. She needs to know what actually happened in order to make sure that any of the problems that did exist will no longer exist in terms of that sort of thing ever happening again. After listening to school committee last night, I thought that the right questions are being asked by some members on the school committee. We heard really strong questions last night from some members about that represented the interests of families and constituents that try to get deeper at understanding what the potential risk and problems are and what the potential solutions are to some of the challenges the district is facing. And we began to see that Superintendent Skipper was owning this. Was listen, She listened to these questions. She began to try to address these questions. But ultimately, Jill, this will only be a highly functioning school committee if members are allowed to ask the right questions and if the school department is required to provide the answers. You know, what, what, I, what I was heartened by, though, is that the new superintendent was listening, was taking everything to heart, was agreeing that there were problems and seemed to be committing to understanding those problems thoroughly and fixing them. I agree. And that's what happened last night at Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have concerns about how BPS is serving your child or your family, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. And if you'd like to share a thought that we may use in a future episode, you can leave us a voicemail at 508-261-5904. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.